Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, November 4th, marks our 165th program. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus Pocket Guide. The 2021 Actus Pocket Guide is your essential CDI resource. It includes updates to clinical diagnostic standards, official coding guidelines, ICD-10-CM codes, CDI critical thinking tips. It's co-written by our CDI education director, Laurie Prescott, and a practicing physician, Dr. James Manns. So be sure to include the number one resource, number one CDI resource in your library today. As a very special bonus with every purchase of the Pocket Guide, you have access to the content and an interactive, customizable online tool. So check that out today on HC Marketplace. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Severe Malnutrition, Review of OIG Worksheets. I'm joined today by my co-host at left of your screen, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at HC Pro and Actus. She's the lead developer and instructor for our CDI boot camps, a subject matter expert, member of our CCDSO exam certification committee and advisory board. Um, actually, co-author of that pocket guide I just alluded to earlier. I'm pleased to have her back on the show. So welcome, Laurie. Hey, Brian. Thanks. Happy to be here. Absolutely. All right. Today, we're joined by two very special guests to talk about today's topic. We have with us uh, one familiar name, uh, Dr. Jim Kennedy. Uh, Dr. Kennedy is president of CDIMD Physician Champions, a Nashville-based group of physicians, coders, and clinicians engaged nationwide as CDI physician advisors, ICD-10 medical informaticists, and DRG and HCC compliance advocates. His expertise includes physician and hospital leadership, healthcare systems improvement, healthcare documentation and coding compliance, and government relations. He previously served on the Actus Advisory Board, has been with us on the program in the past, and I'm pleased to have him back. So welcome, Dr. Kennedy. Thank you, Brian. All right. And today, Dr. Kennedy is joined by uh, Paul Belton. Paul is an RHIA, MHA, MBA, JD, and LLM. Uh, Paul has served as the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer for the past 23 years with both Stanford Healthcare and Sharp Healthcare. His career experience includes roles as a former HIM director and HIM coder. He's currently serving as a compliance consultant in affiliation with CDIMD, and I also want to welcome to the to the show. So welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Brian Laurie. All right, glad you're here. All right, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. As always, the question reads: How confident are you in your organization's ability? to report severe malnutrition in a compliant manner. Um, your options are very confident, little to no issue, uh, somewhat confident, not very confident, don't know, or other. And as always, we'd love to see your responses. You can use the chat feature on the right of your screen there to uh, send in your comments. 
So again, how confident are you in your organization's ability to report severe malnutrition in a compliant manner? Would you describe it as uh, that is very confident, somewhat confident, not very, don't know, or other? All right, we've got about 75% of our audience has voted, so we're going to close this out. And as we always do, we'll come back to that uh, after our interview here. But let's start. Um, as I mentioned, Paul Belton, Dr. Kennedy, special guest today. I want to, again, welcome you gentlemen to the show, and thanks for being a part of the podcast. So today's show is part of a developing story that we've been covering here over the last uh, few weeks and months on the podcast about I describe it as a bombshell of a report issued by the OIG back in July. It was titled, uh, Hospitals Overbuild Medicare $1 billion, and I billion with a B, by incorrectly assigning severe malnutrition di diagnosis codes to inpatient hospital claims. So we, we mentioned this on the July 29 podcast, and as our regular listeners may re recall, on September 9th, we hosted uh, Joe Girardi of the OIG, who was the audit manager of that report. He gave an insider's look of what it contained. But I thought we could just start with a quick refresh, Dr. Kennedy and Paul, about just catching our audience up uh, briefly on what that report said and, and, and the recommendations that, that, that uh, the OIG issued there. Well, thank you, Brian. The report came out in July 2020 and in essence, the OIG uh, did a uh, audit of 200 uh, inpatient records where severe malnutrition, either E43, other severe malnutrition, or E41, marasmus, uh, was the only major uh, MSDRG major CC. So uh, they looked at this from the point of view of was the condition present? The, uh, was the condition present? Was it actually documented to be present? And did the condition qualify as a additional diagnosis using the um, OI, using the what they perceived to be the definition of an additional diagnosis with ICD-10? Now, granted, the OIG did not do the audit itself; it contracted it to one of the ZPICs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the ZPIC did it under contract, though the OIG, I'm going to guess, was responsible for the structure of the review and the supervision of the criteria for that review. So that is, in essence, what it is. You've gone over the results. We know that 86.5% of the uh, records reviewed did not meet the ZPICs a definition of meeting all three of those criteria, and they have referred that to CMS for further adjudication. Great. Thanks for catching us up there, Dr. Kennedy. Yeah, now, Dr. Kennedy, um, after that report came out, I understand through Freedom of Information, you were able to obtain those, the OIG worksheets, um, which I've read, and I think they offer a little insight as to what the auditors were thinking. Can you explain what those are and what they contained? Um, did they have actual medical information um, documentation with them? And um, also I would find it interesting as to how you went about obtaining those worksheets. 
Well, first of all, the way to obtain the worksheets is you send a freedom of information request to the OIG. The email is fairly simple, foia at oig.hhs.gov. So that's something any of you can do. It takes about a month or two to get for them to do this. So I did it before when the Vidant audit came out about four years ago, and it gave me some insight as to where they were. I did it for this. You know, so it it okay. shows you it shows you at least how the ZPIC uh, approached the condition, the structure of the report. They do not show actual documentation from the record. It's a summary. So I got 200 summaries, which were blinded as to the facility. So we don't know which facility, you know, it was. It was just the the records themselves. So that's how I did it, and that's where I got my information. You had a little reading there with those 200 <laughs> summaries. <laughs> well, it is, and it, you know, in abstracting it and trying to come up with trends and coming up mm -hmm. with their approach, you know, was the whole goal of this. Um, one of the things that I found is they actually sent me the Aspen article, you know, so they mm -hmm. used the Aspen criteria, right. uh, which was which came out in 2012. That's what your other speaker, you know, said they did use the Aspen criteria. And and each review had a physician on it. It had a coder on it. Now, we don't know what kind of physician it was. All I'm licensed to practice and I don't have any discipline. Mm -hmm. That's all it said. Okay? Mm -hmm. He could have been a psychiatrist for all I know, but a licensed physician. And then we had, you know, I think an RHIT coat, you know, person, probably CCS, they worked together in tandem to determine if the case met the definition of an additional diagnosis. Right. So the, I think what we did see, uh, what we did see was some very consistent patterns in regards to the review. And we did see a very high standard that they have developed with that review. Right. Thanks, Paul. That was my next question is, the big question is, what, what, what did you guys see in these worksheets and um, what, did, what did they reveal? You mentioned that extraordinarily high error rate, Dr. Kennedy. Do you, in general, I mean, I know this is over 200 claims you're looking at, but was the OIG justified or were these findings subjective and, and, and uh, defendable by the organizations? I don't know if you could give any your your broad thoughts on the on the, what what these worksheets said. Well, I think that um, what is let me go backwards and probably the most controversial aspect of this is what's the definition of an additional diagnosis? So there was a number of cases where the OIG agreed that the patient met the definition of had severe malnutrition. They actually agreed. They actually said it was documented. Okay. But what they then did was they denied it because they said that the comp that there was not complex decision making or a complex intervention. Uh, to address the defined, diagnosed, and documented severe malnutrition, mm. okay? And that is a concept that I'm not aware of that's in the guidelines, that's not in the coding clinic. And so that is the bar 
that I think that if anybody <laughs> wants to take something home on this, it's, you, it's not enough just to document severe malnutrition, you know, by a doctor. You have to show that it impacts uh, thoroughly the, the five elements of the ICD-10 guidelines, section three of the reporting of additional diagnoses, okay? Clinical evaluation, therapeutic treatment, diagnostic procedures, extended length of stay, or increased nursing or, and or monitoring. So that is, uh, you know, the, so that's in essence where the main crux of it was. The rest of it had to do with, there was actually some cases where the criteria appeared to be met, but it was now well documented by the physician. Again, even though the definition of consistency according to AHIMA is non-conflicting documentation, if you look at the outpatient CDI toolkit that AHIMA publishes, which is the only definition of consistency, by the way, non-conflicting, there still was not enough documentation in the record by a provider that said that the physician truly believed that severe malnutrition was present and, uh, and such. And then back to the assessment itself, if a patient, it does, if a doctor does write severe malnutrition, it has to be painfully clear which of the aspirin criteria were met, okay? And then the treatment has to fit the crime you might say, it has to be congruent, you know, with the, uh, with the severity of the, of the disease. So that's what I saw. Paul, did you see anything different? You know, as we mentioned, scores and scores of charts stated that the nutritional intervention was not complex. And number <laughs> two, it did not affect the treatment plan or the length of stay. Yeah. Hmm. So they're really raising the bar there for, for reporting these conditions. I mean, beyond what most of us are understood about that secondary diagnosis. Yeah, I, um, I think that's, that's where CDIs can step in to maybe help with that. So that's going to feed into my next question. Um, I, I giggled when you said they have to painfully document the criteria, <laughs> Dr. Kennedy. Um, why is it that severe malnutrition is such a problem for hospitals? We, it's been a problem for years. Some of it was related to the way the code set was designed. Now it's, it's I think, boiling down to that clinical validity. Um, do you have um, any suggestions, um, gentlemen, for any immediate short-term strategies that we might be able to use to mitigate that risk? Um, how, you know, knowing that malnutrition is a risk when we're looking at the charts, what, what are some things that we should think about? Well, first and foremost, and I think, and this is why I have Paul on the call, CDI has to be tied to the hip with the compliance officer on Yay. this because there's a power differential, you know, that many of us in CDI have where the medical staff has more power, you know, than we do. But the compliance officer brings leverage, you know, into this to discussion and can actually set call balls and strikes, you know, in setting up the structure of how this is done. 
because it's the role of the compliance officer to anticipate reports like this and to and he or she has their own funding that can develop management action plans and a workflow. Paul, you've done this. We did this together at Sepsis with Sepsis at Sharp and things like that. What's what's your role? What's the role of the compliance officer in making well, this work? What, compliance needs to navigate this. They need to walk through some of the organizational uh, landmines. By that, I'm stating number one the complexity in and of itself needs to be achieved by obtaining definitions clinically. And then number two, it requires a multidisciplinary approach, working with nursing, dietary, nutrition, medical staff, CDI, in which case, CDI, in which case compliance can navigate and establish guidelines. They can work with the medical staff and achieve a organization standard and then have the opportunity to champion this effort to help mitigate risk in the organization. So given that we only have limited time left, I'd like to say that first and foremost, there has to be an organizational definition of malnutrition. You know, that is approved by the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee and passed by the Medical Executive Committee in compliance with Coding Clinic fourth quarter 2016, pages 147 to 149, which says that we can do this, okay? The dietitian's documentation has to be structured so painfully clear that if the criteria are met, that it's there. And then there has to be a physician, a physician um, attestation of sort or some evidence that the physician truly embraced this documentation shows the progress of the intervention and explains why oral therapy, uh, why oral therapy uh, is preferred over PEG tubes, NG tubes, you know, TPN, mm -hmm. you know, with those sorts of things. And a couple of things that I think that we are not doing as CDIs that I'd like to, that I got from this is number one, we have to be sensitive to the refeeding syndrome or the refeeding. The refeeding syndrome is hypokalemia, hyponatremia, hypophosphatemia that occurs with the refeeding of an individual after starvation, which if they have severe malnutrition, you can consider them to be starved. Okay. And if you're mm -hmm. feeding them again, then there's going to be those electrolyte imbalances. And the monitoring for the refeeding syndrome was one of the aspects that the ZPIC looked for. So being familiar, it's not codable, refeeding syndrome, it's not codable, but the documentation should be there. Also, and I'll leave this because I know we're short on time. Mm -hmm. Many of us in CDI have case management experience. There needs to be something in the record from the case managers and the social workers that if the patient has severe malnutrition during the hospital stay, is there a discharge plan that addresses right. the food insecurity that occurred prior to the patient's admission, the social issues, and what's the discharge plan, you know, in addressing a very treatable condition. Last but not least, Actis, I talked to Von Medical from Vident this week. Brian, Actis has a very active partnership 
with uh, the American Society of Nutrition, uh, Aspen, the A&D. Uh, it's very important that we talk to Julie Tatesman, Dr. Julie Tatesman at the OIG, who's the medical director of the OIG. Uh, that she's somebody that just has that just needs to let us know how these how these are done, and there has to be advocacy towards uh, the you know how this works, particularly this year since uh, severe malnutrition will be an MCC until at least September 30th of next year. Mm -hmm. From a compliance standpoint, they need to collaborate with CDI, number one, determine the level of potential risk right now through data analytics and organization stands. What is that level of risk? Number two, as mentioned, establish written defendable clinical criteria and then a pre-billing coded review process, your quality control. There should be double checks on this particular diagnosis as they go through the revenue cycle prior to pre-billing. And then finally, monitoring your organization's ratio of reporting severe malnutrition as an MCC. And then establish a, a, a benchmark so that you're not exceeding that benchmark. Yeah. Excellent advice, Paul. Great stuff. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I guess just to wrap up before we move on with the rest of the show, we got some really great comments throughout. But um, and anything that you guys expect next, I, I think the OIG was going to had suggested uh, they were going to refer this to the MAX uh, and, and suggest CMS, you know, begin a broader audit. We did have some questions about whether hospitals are appealing these. Um, I don't, what 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 do you think is next from this big report that we might expect to see down the pike? We don't know, and again, this is where the compliance officer needs to come in. Uh, we know of one hospital system that got hurt by these audits, and they went directly to CMS and just litigated it. I mean, they just negotiated, litigated, uh, you know, got a number of these thrown out. But first and foremost, there has to be coding clinic questions sent in of what's the definition of an additional diagnosis in this condition? Where is this concept of complex treatment coming into play, which to the best of my knowledge is not published anywhere. So advocacy is very important. Uh, Actus is very much a part of that. Uh, spoke to Todd Rice, who's the president of Aspen. He works at Vanderbilt. You know, there's a very active engagement in this. Uh, you just got to talk to your compliance officer. Paul, what would you do in this if you were in charge? I would be bird dogging. I would be monitoring closely each MAC uh, in the, for any requests. I would be working and partnering and again, doing data analytics to see where we are at risk potentially. And some of these activities need to be initiated by working with even, as you said, the respective societies and specialty societies in obtaining definition. But monitor CMS, monitor the MAC. Great stuff. And, and Brian, this is what we do. You know, Paul and I are partners in this, and this is what we do. All right. Well, good stuff. Um, I just would like to tell our audience that if you want to learn more about these worksheets, um, Dr. Kennedy and Paul did a presentation for our Nashville chapter. Um, we record all of these podcasts, put them on actus.org in the body 
of those. We call those the show notes. There will be a link to that presentation. So check that out in about a day. You will find a link to their to their slides as well as a article that uh, they wrote, I believe, for uh, one of the legal publications that you you guys put that together. American Health Lawyer Association, American Health Lawyer Association, Health Law Connections. Okay. There's Correct. an article step by step of what the October issue. All right. Yeah, the October issue. We will link to that in the show notes, but that's that's great stuff. All right, let's take a quick look here at our poll results. Again, we asked um, our listeners today how confident are they in their organization's ability to report severe malnutrition compliantly. Uh, a third said they're very confident with little to no issue. Uh, 54% expressed somewhat uh, reservation here, somewhat confident. 11% not very confident. 1% uh, don't know. And then we did get some other responses. But what do you think of these uh, poll results? Anything here surprise you, Paul or Dr. Kennedy? Uh, what I see is even if you're confident, the OIG is introducing new concepts and you have to be re-benchmarked. Good lawyer knows the law. Better lawyer knows the law, the judge and the jury. I think it's going to be a fight. Um, so even if you're confident, it needs to be pressure tested. And I think an internal audit that is governed by compliance uh, is, according to these metrics, is a is a good thing to do. All right. In response to the OIG, obviously, I believe this would be a item on your risk assessment, and it would be something that compliance would help champion in collaboration with CDI. I believe that organizations that are uh, significant, uh, different level with their level of confidence and also with the the program that they might have set up for severe malnutrition as a code assignment. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, let's bounce over quickly to a, a short uh, in the news segment. So again, in the news is a regular segment featuring latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. This article I'm showing you here on the screen is a recent article published by the HFMA, the Healthcare Financial Management Association. Um, cast some doubt really onto the, the efficacy of one of, um, I think, what is the, one of the more recognizable value-based programs with which CDI specialists are probably familiar, the uh, readmissions, a hospital readmissions reduction program, or HRRP. So the article, again, I'll link to this in the notes of the program, but um, summarizes that in FY 2021, about a little over 2,500 hospitals will face penalties under this um, program, with four, with 41 facing a the maximum, which is a 3% cut, not insignificant in Medicare payments. However, it appears that these uh, reductions, these cuts are not being applied accurately or fairly, at least according to a study in a reputable source, JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association Cardiology. Um, so again, just uh, the HRRP is uh, patients with diagnoses of CHF, heart attack, pneumonia, COPD, hip knee replacement, uh, get penalized if uh, patients come back, if they're readmitted within 30 days of discharge, you know, with some exceptions, for example, if, if, if it was a planned readmission, uh, but they get, they get penalized. However, this study, again, 
HFMA is quoting JAMA Cardiology here is it was an analysis was done by Harvard Medical School researchers of the HRRP. Uh, they found that um, for fiscal year 2019, there was a misclassification of a condition-specific penalty status for up to 31%, so a large number of hospitals. Um, and so for within each condition, the share of hospitals that incorrectly went unpenalized were about 20.9% for acute MI, 13% for heart failure, 13% pneumonia, and then you had uh, a share of hospitals that were incorrectly penalized, 10% for, again, AMI, about 11% heart failure, and 12% for pneumonia. Smaller hospitals were especially likely to be misclassified, um, essentially because um, they have less discharges and uh, and there were some issues with the, the way that this, these classifications were done. So. Can I, can I speak about this? Absolutely. Love to hear from you, Dr. Kennedy. CDI is absolutely crucial in this. So there's three concepts you need to understand. Number one, for the MI readmission rate, only type one myocardial infarctions should be in the cohort. CMS excludes type two and type four if they're documented and sequenced, you know, appropriately. So therefore, if a doctor writes non-STEMI, that's a type one, unless the doctor says type two. That's a number, that's a huge CDI thing that I see missed throughout the country. Number two, for heart failure, the principal diagnosis has to be heart failure, but if the patient has acute kidney injury, which is a big predictor of mortality and readmissions, if the documentation is clear that the acute kidney injury also contributed to the inpatient admission, acute kidney injury can be the principal diagnosis excluding the case from the mortality readmission measure. Number three, sepsis due to pneumonia is included in the measure, but severe sepsis present on admission or septic shock present on admission is excludes the case from the pneumonia cohort. That is probably the number one CDI strategy that can be implemented that gets these patients properly adjudicated. Awesome, Thank thanks. You. Thanks for that, Dr. Kennedy. That's some great practical advice to take from this. Summed it up a lot better than I could, but recommend check the article out and, and there's, some, there's some takeaways for you. Um, for how you might address this. Again, we'll we'll link to this is another article by Kaiser Health News on the same topic. Um, just to wrap up here, a couple of things for in our Actus update. Wanted to point you towards an article which is free on the Actus website. It was a guest post by Brandy Hutchison, severe protein malnutrition denial defense. There's some strategies here for better documentation strategies of severe malnutrition. Um, Last thing I'll mention is we have an upcoming uh, virtual event at the end of uh, mid-December on outpatient CDI. We'll be talking a little bit more about this in future episodes of the podcast, but uh, recommend you check it out. Actus Online, Uncovering Outpatient CDI Opportunities. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's edition of the podcast. Again, I want to thank uh, Paul and Dr. Kennedy for their time today some great advice here on a on a complex topic and we'll continue to monitor of course the latest from the oig on on the audit report 
Uh, but thanks again, gentlemen, for coming on today. Um, as for Yeah, absolutely. And as for our listeners, we'll be back here again in two weeks for our next show, CDI in the emergency department with a focus on uh, medical necessity. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We try to make these available usually within a day or two of the show. So check us out there. And if you have any ideas, uh, future shows, topics, speakers, guests, love to hear from you. You can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That'll do it. Take care, everyone. We'll see you back here again in two weeks.